Welcome to the Professional Magician Podcast. Discover ways to book more shows at higher fees from a guy who's been doing it for over 20 years. Here's Chris Johnson. Crafting a show to fit a specific market, plus what to do when things go south. That plus a review of Phantasm Pro by Peter Lochran. It's all coming up in today's episode of the Professional Magician Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Johnson. Thanks for joining me here today. Uh, this uh, episode is coming out late. I, um, had, I'm recording it now at about 5 o'clock Eastern Standard Time on January 27th. I had some late night gigs uh, last night uh, that didn't end until midnight. And uh, got in, uh, slept in till noon. Um, you know, had a phone call with a friend. You know, got a couple things written, and so that's why I'm uh, getting this episode late. So I do apologize for that. But it allows me to talk about something very specific and very timely because something really interesting happened at my show yesterday and how I fixed it. Um, so I was just going to talk about how I fixed my problem at my show last night, but I decided to uh, get into the actual um, structure of the show because what I, if you, if you listen to the podcast for any length of time, you know all about the fact that I'm, I I like creating shows that specifically fit a definitive market. Um, I'm not a believer in having one size or one show that fits every single market. I know some performers out there they do that they. Do the same show, whether it's for 50 people or 200 people. Uh, they do it whether it's for, you know, teens or adults or kids. And I just, that's just not how I roll. So this is going to be an episode where I break down a very specific show for a very specific market and, and why I think that's so important. And it's also going to be based on a lecture that I did a couple weeks ago at the East Coast Spirit Sessions that was very well received. I was really flattered with the comments I got from it. And, uh, and then I'm going to dovetail into um, a problem I ran into at my shows last night and how I fixed it. So instead of talking about some of these things theoretical like I do, you know, like five steps to or 13 ways to, this episode is going to be about specifics, about a tangible show and uh, how it fits a specific market and uh, troubleshooting and all kinds of great stuff. So let's get into it. Um, this specific show... I created for teens at late night teen events. Um, I do, uh, over the course of my career, I've done a lot of post-prom or grad parties for teens, um, and even some private parties for teens. And they're really a lot of fun. And they're, these events are put on by uh, the parent-teacher associations at these schools, and they're designed to help teens stay safe um, after their prom or after they graduate uh, in a situation where teens might go out and drink and drive or something like that to celebrate uh, their special events. So it's designed as a lock-in to keep them safe. And they entice teens to come to these events with um, you know, hypnosis shows like, like what I do and prizes and games and food and all kinds of great stuff. So I've been I've been doing stage hypnosis shows um, ever since 2005, and they're wildly popular with teens. Pe- teens really like stage hypnosis shows. And yes, to anybody who's wondering, I, I am still um, planning on producing my home study version of uh, my stage hypnosis course. It's something that I think is going to be the best um, home version of uh, such a course ever created. That's my goal anyway, uh, just having a time to put it all together. So I've been doing those shows for a long time. And um, I've been kind of reacquainting myself with Bizarre Magic, which is how I got started in magic. If you go back and listen to the three-part series I did with Lauren Turner, where he breaks down the psychology of fear and all kinds of great things, um, you know, that's really, it's honestly more fun than it should be. 
um, kind of talked about my my origin story about how I got into magic. I got into magic with bizarre magic, and because I've been doing kids shows for so long, this kind of you know been my specialty. You know, specifically school shows, as you know. But my origins go back to bizarre magic, and I love doing scary stuff, and it's just it's it's a lot of fun. And as my new friend John Ferentino Ter- says, it's the one branch of magic. Where if you do it right, people walk out saying, "What if?" And that's all you can really hope for with magic, which is really cool. So I got into, I, I got the idea to offer uh, at these uh, late night events, um, twenty minute ghost shows, twenty minute ghost shows, where we'd have uh, groups of teens come in, no more than twelve at a time, and I would tell them a couple of spooky stories and like weird things would happen, and uh, objects would move as if it was by the spirits, and uh, I just got the idea and offered it to a few of my clients, and a couple of my clients took me up on it. And I've been doing it every year since, and it's been a lot of fun. So I put together a very simple 20-minute show where we start off with a couple of teens. Well, first I tell a story, a ghost story that I researched uh, near where I grew up. And uh, and I wanted to make it a um, um, a ghost story that they wanted to, if they wanted to research it, that they could. Not that I think teens will, but if anybody ever does want to research it, they will find a lot, a lot of the stuff that I talk about in the story. And they'll hear haunted tales and everything. And it's um, so I, I wanted something that was, you know, real, you know, quote unquote real. So I tell a story about uh, this graveyard and some of the, the supposed spirit manifestations that people see there. And, I, and then I mention the fact that we're going to um, use an aspect of NLP. NLP is neuro-linguistic programming, neuro for the brain, um, linguistic for language, and programming for programming. So we use, we, we use language to program the mind. And one of the tenets of NLP, and this is true, one of the tenets of NLP is the idea of rep- replicating success. We look at what people have done successfully in years past, and we try to replicate it um, with the idea that if we break it down into small enough bite-sized steps, then we can replicate things. And it, this is, this idea has been used by NLP practitioners to, uh, well, I myself have held, helped people get over phobias in five minutes. They've had a, you know, if they've had a phobia for like years and years, I can help them knock that phobia out in five minutes. They use it for sports athletes, um, helping people to uh, access their peak uh, performance state. So it's a really cool idea. Then I explained to the teens that um, mediums have been using certain techniques to supposedly contact the spirits for hundreds of years, and that I'm going to use those techniques today, and we'll see if we get a result. So I'm, I'm kind of adding like a layer of a quasi-scientific quality to this. And I start off the whole show by saying, I don't believe in ghosts, which for a teen audience is kind of disarming because they're, they're led to believe there's going to be this, this ghost experience, and then right away I tell them that I don't believe in ghosts. And it disarms them, and it kind of flips it inside their head. Because um, the last thing I want to do is come out there and try to be the spooky guy. They're going to reject it. They're going to roll their eyes. They're instantly going to think this is cheesy. So by telling them I don't believe in in ghosts and we're going to try to do this quasi-scientifically, it disarms them. It kind of gets them on my side a little bit. I'm not trying to play a spooky character. And it's a great way of of, uh, creating a show specifically for that market. Um, if I did it for kids, you know, if I was going to do a ghost story for kids, much more gentle, I would just tell them I'm going to do a ghost story and they'd probably go along for the ride. But for teens, they're really skeptical anyway. So this really disarms them. So this is, I, I tell you all this because this is my analysis of a very specific market and creating a script and a show structure to really fit a specific market. And, and I think with any, whatever market you're going to do, whether it's corporate or comedy clubs or school shows or birthdays. I think creating and scripting a show that fits your market um, is, is key to success. So that's what I did with this show. 
So we start off with all of that, all the scripting I, I talked about. And then I tell the ghost story about this graveyard and how this kid got killed. And then I, uh, this is back in the 1800s, by the way. And then I get uh, two participants involved with uh, pendulums, just a piece of crystal hanging from a cord. And if they concentrate, uh, the, the, the pendulums will start to move. And of course, the, the pendulums do start to move. And the kids, I mean, I did five shows last night and uh, four, out of, four out of the five shows, the kids are really freaked out. Oh, my God, I can't believe this is moving. This is real. So it really, really got a good response from the kids. And it's, it's a relatively minor effect. And, and, you know, if, if you've ever studied pendulums and everything, you know, it's a relatively minor effect. But in a ghost show for teens, you want to start off slow. If they'd walked in and objects started floating immediately, they would have rolled their eyes and said, nice magic tricks. So, again, knowing my market, I wanted to start off nice and light. So I did the pendulums. That got a good response. Then I did what's called a living and dead test. And if you're unfamiliar with the living and dead test, a living and dead test is where people take, a, a, and a volunteer will take slips of paper on one piece of paper, or in my case, business cards, they'll write down the name of somebody they know who is deceased. And then they'll take five other cards and write down the names of people who are living. So I had a volunteer do that. And we, they spread the cards out on a table, and I wanted to add that scientific flair that I talked about. So I, I uh, so we're going to do this uh, as a double-blind test. So I turn my back, you mix up all the cards face down, so I won't know where the deceased name is. And then they turn around, and I mix them all up too, so now theoretically they don't know either. And then we get out um, a very strange pendulum, which looks like a, po a pointer, uh, a, a small hand off of a doll. And of course, as we pass the, uh, as we as we pass uh, working together past the pendulum i'm sorry the little doll hand back and forth over the cards it begins to move and, and point to one specific card and we move that card aside look at the other cards uh, all the other cards have the names of um, living individuals on them and then as one final convincer i uh, take the person's hand have them close their eyes imagine that person walking across the street they put their hand on the person's shoulder and that, and I say hello, John, or whatever the person's name is, and they react really strongly, and everybody freaks out. And I show the card. Yep, that's the name, John. Um, send them back to the seat, and then I get another teen up, and we do the um, the Okido Voodoo doll, and I do it with the Bill Abbott presentation, where the Voodoo doll rises on my hand, and the person I'm working with, they hold open their hand after the doll is risen, and there's a uh, a black mark on their on the palm of their hand, which is very powerful and very strong. Um, and then we move into the final test where um, the teen volunteer helping me, they hold on to a, a black uh, um, a black bag. It's got a clear box in it. We, we open up the box, show there's nothing inside the box, uh, put it into the black bag. They hold on to it. And um, it, earlier in the show, I've also referenced a spirit bell that I've had, a very antique-looking spirit bell I had off to the side. And uh, then we, uh, we take a, a, a book flip through the pages. They tell me when to stop. We mark their page. They look at their page. I don't see it. And then um, I give a, a set of chalkboards, a, a slates to somebody in the audience to hold on to with a piece of chalk inside. The slates are seen to be blank. So we ask the spirits for a, a sign that they're actually present. And after a long delay, the bell finally rings, which makes everybody jump. Then they open up that, that box in the, in the bag. And inside the bag is that clear box. And all of a sudden, there's a torn page there. And the, the page is torn. They open up the book that they're holding. And the, the torn page is the page that they selected. Um, and it, that's very, very powerful. They open up the chalkboards. And the chalkboards has the page number written on it plus a selected word. 
So, and that's that's my little ghost shell for the teens, and it's it's very powerful. Has a slow build until we reach the end, and we have all these conclusions. Bam, 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 bam. You know, the chalkboards, the the box uh, with the page inside of it, the book, and the bell. So it's like this nice one, two, three, four punch of of a conclusion. It's a nice, simple little little ghost show, and they react really well to it. Specifically crafted for teens. We don't go overboard. We don't do anything too crazy. There's no blood. The parents wouldn't like that. I don't have like, the lights flickering. Well, first of all, I couldn't. But even if I had the lights flickering, they'd probably roll their eyes at it because it's too much. So it's just enough to give them the heebie-jeebies, and they really enjoy it. Um, and that's that's creating a show specifically for an audience. Like I couldn't do that show for kindergartners. Um, I, I wouldn't even do that show for adults. I don't think it's got enough in it for adults. And, and, and adults are going to even, even be more skeptical. So I'd probably slow down the show for adults even further. But this is 20 minutes. I did six of these shows. I'm sorry, five of these shows last night. They lasted about 20 minutes each. That is you know, crafting a specific show for a specific audience. I, I wanted to make it creepy. I limited the size of the audience to just 12 kids at a time so that we had, um, yeah, basically the smaller the group, the easier it is to scare them. And that goes for any age level. Um, and uh, so we, just, we did these shows throughout the night and the kids reacted really well to it. So when you're looking at your shows, you know, look at look at your audience, first of all. Craft the show that's going to fit your audience. I, it drives me crazy when I see magicians you know, bringing out a trick that's it's not suitable for an audience and they do it just because they paid a lot of money for the trick and they, they really want to use it. And, and this could be anything. It could be... Oh, you're doing a, a book test for a group of uh, kindergartners, for example. It could be, um, I, I can't even think of it, any examples right now off the top of my head. But uh, I mean, you know what, you've, you, I'm sure you've seen it. Um, oh, well, here's an example. I Well, I saw a magician one time where he had a really nice Ken Brooks-sized set of bottles. And uh, I believe there are 12 bottles in this set, the multiplying bottles. And um, the the group he was working for it wasn't it, it wasn't a really high paying gig for him, so he goes, oh, I'm not going to give them all twelve bottles. I'm just going to give them like six or nine or something like that. I'm like, what what an odd thing to say. Um, and 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 this particular trick it didn't really fit the audience he's working for anyway. I would have gone with another piece. So we see that kind of thing, or we see somebody who they really want to use a trick a lot, so they, they drag a big trick with them, walk around, because they, they want to get a lot of mileage out of that trick. But it's, it's too big of a trick, and maybe it doesn't fit a walk around. So the whole message here basically is simply about um, knowing your audience, knowing your venues, knowing your participants, and crafting the show that fits perfectly. The tricks aren't too big for the venue. The tricks um, fit the age level you're working for. I mean, some people believe you can do a trick for any size audience or you can do a trick for any age audience. It doesn't matter what the trick is. I, I completely disagree. My, my wife has been telling me for years that she goes, if you really worked on it, you could do the Blooming Bouquet for adults because that's, believe it or not, one of her favorite tricks. And I wholeheartedly disagree with her. I said, I don't think I could pull off the Blooming Bouquet for adults, nor would I want to try. So what I'm, what I'm saying here is, again, just reiterating over and over again, when you're looking, when you're looking to craft a show, you're looking to get into a market. Because um, I have, I have magicians asking me all the time, not all the time, but I have magicians contact me saying that they want to get into school shows. And the first thing I ask them is, "Do you have a show?" And 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 they sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. And and I tell them the first thing they have to do is they have to craft a show which fits that market. It's got to be a show that's going to play to 400 kids at a time upwards. It's got to be 45 minutes long. They have to have a good sound system. And ideally, they have to have um, a series of tricks that have messages to them, too, that fit a, cer a certain theme. Um, 
you know, same thing with corporate. You know, some people think that they can take um, any old show and put it in front of a corporate audience. That's just not true. You have to have a specific show for a specific audience. So I, I hope you've enjoyed this little foray into my, my show creation. I spent a long time, uh, about six months um, b- before I offered this show to my clients, analyzing what would a good spooky show be for, for teens. Um, I knew I had certain parameters. I knew that I um, I couldn't have a blackout. Like If you have a blackout, that'll make people scream and you can have all kinds of things happen. But the the legalities of it and just the... the the uh, likelihood of me opening myself up for a, a lawsuit by being in a completely dark room with a group of teens was just not something I even wanted to explore the idea of doing. Um, it had to be a very short show. Um, it had to ha- be small audiences because it's easier to control the kids and it's easier to scare them too. It had to be something that was visible to them as well. Uh, and I'll, it also had to be foolproof. Um, a lot of um, spirit uh, magic tricks and or mentalism magic tricks, they have the possibility of failing. I know Doc Hilford has talked for years about um, you know, taking chances during his shows, and if he misses something with a mind-reading effect, that adds to the believability of it. Um, and some people even believe in the idea of scripting failure into their shows for the believability factor. That's To me, that's not going to play for teen audiences. Everything I use has to be bomb-proof, has to be something that's going to um, work every time, and something that's going to fit the uh, the mood, too. Um, again, I couldn't I couldn't do anything with um, with blood, for example. I, I couldn't do anything too risque. I couldn't do anything with a gun. I couldn't do anything with a knife. Um, all these para- all these are things that parameters that were set up by the people who hired me, concerned parents and teachers. And they, I, I couldn't call the show a séance, even though that's technically what it was. I had to call it a ghost hunting show. Because again, these are uh, that the word séance is a trigger word, which could freak out some parents. So it was just, I, I wanted to bring to you um, an example of a show crafted for a very specific market. And again, I'll go back to that opening script when I tell my audience, I don't believe in ghosts. It's very disarming. Um, I, I, when I went to the East Coast Spirit Sessions, there's wonderful people there, amazing people, incredibly creative people. Um, I, I interviewed John Ferentino recently. His interview is going to drop soon. He's a great guy. All kind, and I've got other people lined up I'm going to interview from East Coast Spirit Sessions, too. These are people who have a passion for magic and adding a, a, a theatrical flair to it with storytelling, all with the idea of wondering, leaving your audience with a question of what I just saw, was it real? And uh, and that's what the whole convention about. And it was, it was absolutely wonderful. Um, so I, I wanted to do something like that for a very specific audience. And this is, it's been a great thought experiment too. And putting it into practice in front of a live audiences has really been enjoyable. But that doesn't mean that sometimes things don't go wrong. Uh, in this case, last night, I had something go wrong. Um, I got to the show and realized I'd forgotten one of my gimmicks for the uh, book test. Uh, the book test that I do, just to reiterate, is um, I flip through the pages of the book. Somebody tells me when to stop. I mark their place. In this case, I use an envelope. They look at the first word on the page. They look at the uh, page number. Well, I close the book. I give them the uh, the book to hold on to. And later on, uh, that page that they looked at is seen to be torn out, and it reappears inside that box that I referenced earlier in, in the black bag they're holding on to. Um, and, and they can examine the page, and the, the torn edges fit perfectly. They can examine the book. There's nothing to find. There's no gimmick to find. 
it, to me, it's one of the most powerful effects in magic. I love it. it is, and if you're not familiar with it, the basic concept is called Pegasus Page. And there's a lot of different handlings of it, a lot of different gimmicks. The one that I use is um, the simplest. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's foolproof. It's easy to do. And that's what I like. I don't want to have to think about anything. So last night I was setting up for the show and I realized I'd forgotten my gimmick for Pegasus Page. I'm not going to say what it is. I don't want to expose it. But I forgot my gimmick. So now I couldn't do my book. So now I can't have the torn page reappear inside the box. I can't have the page number and the word um, appear on the chalkboards because there's no context. There's no way that I can have the person pick that word of the book now. So I'm like, oh, no. And this is like the last, you know, the last one-two punch of my seance. I mean, I can still have the bell ring and things like that. So what am I going to do? How am I going to solve this problem? So what I wound up doing, and I thought of a lot of different things. I'm like, okay, I've got a pad of paper here. I can do a center tear. I can get somebody to give me a thought before the show and then write that on the chalkboards. And I dismissed that because my shows were every 20 minutes. I only had a couple of minutes to reset. That would take too long. So ultimately what I decided to do, I, I in, by the way, when I started doing these shows, I told the, the, the person who hired me, I said, I have to have a chaperone for these shows. I don't want to be in a, in a dimly lit room with a group of teens by myself. It's just, you know, legalities and things like that. So uh, I have a chaperone, and fortunately, the chaperone I had with me last night was somebody who saw the ghost shows last year and loved them. And 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 uh, when it came time for the volunteers to get their assignments, like you know, one person is going to go monitor the kids in the pool, one um, um, parent volunteer is going to monitor the uh, the bingo, one parent volunteer is going to go monitor the kids watching a movie in one of the rooms, whatever. So this particular volunteer had seen the ghost shows last year, and she goes, I want to do it again. I want to do it again. I really enjoyed watching the kids react to the ghost shows. So she was on my side. So what I did, I just had her between before every show. We had sign-up sheets, too, because we didn't want to have, like, 40 kids show up at one show and no kids show up at the next show. And I had to limit it to – I wanted to limit it to 12 kids for that mood. So we had sign-up sheets. So before every show, she would come in with a sign-up sheet. And I'd pick a name off the sign-up sheet and very quickly write that name on the chalkboard and write that name on a business card that would reappear inside that box, too. So now I had my ending. And it actually wound up working really good because when that when the name pops up, now it's a personal message to uh, to one of the kids at the show. So that got a really nice response. It, it wasn't ideal because that, that torn page reappearing, it just blows people's minds away. Um, so I lost that effect, but I was able to save the show by thinking on my feet. And uh, there's a couple of lessons to take from this. Um, f- for years, uh, magicians have been told when you go to a show, bring extra effects with you. Maybe you get to the show and you're told there's going to be 20 kids and you get there and there's 100 kids. Or maybe you get to the show and you, you're, you're told it's going to be an adult audience and you get there and there's like half kids, half adults. Um, I remember one time I was booked for a corporate event and I was assured by the agent Uh, because it was booked through an agent that it was going to be a kid's show for this Christmas party and some of the adults will be watching. So I brought my kid's show with me. There were no kids at the show. So I just, I was horrified. And uh, my client was said, that's okay. We'll do the show. I'm sure the, I'm sure the adults will like it. So I got through it and it it wasn't a great show because, you know, duh, I had kid's show tricks with me, but uh, they're appreciative anyway. Um, So, so we're told that we're told to bring extra tricks to our shows in case of uh, a calamity, something goes wrong. Um, I've never done that and I've never made that part of my routine for a very specific reason. Um, the majority of my work is theme shows. So for instance, if I'm using a Rubik's cube in my character education show, um, I have to use that Rubik's cube because I, I've got a very specific, uh, script and lesson tied to that trick. 
so I can't exactly swap. So if my Rubik's Cube breaks, because I use a gimmicked Rubik's Cube, if my cube breaks or if I forget it, I can't swap in uh, Professor's Nightmare, for example, because it's just not going to fit. So I just never got into the habit of bringing extra tricks with me. I mean, I should. I, I totally agree that I should. So what I did to solve the problem, and this is something you can think about too, is just have stuff you can put together on the fly. Like I said, I could have had, I could have done a center tear, gotten some information, and done the um, and, and and done all the spooky stuff that way. Instead, I just opted for the it's for the easiest thing possible, which is asking, um, you know, the adult volunteer to help me out by giving me names. Um, so my point is this. Have something in your back pocket, you know, mentally um, or even in your wallet. Something. If, if you're like me and you don't carry extra tricks with you, because not everybody does, you know, have some things you can, you know, pull out of uh, thin air to you know, kind of save your show. Um, I've, I think I've talked about this uh, before in um, in the podcast that uh, there's been times when I've gone to a school and maybe I forgot a prop or um, you know the kids are older than I expected or whatever that on the fly I can do PK touches because it's propless. So what I plan on doing and what you can do is just come up with other propless things you can do just have them stored in the data banks of your mind. So if something happens or a prop breaks or whatever, you've got these non-prop routines you can do. It could be a comedy routine. I never saw it, but I know Doc Hilford used to have a, a, a videotape out called um, 20 Minutes with a Balloon. And it was just all these comedy things he would do with a balloon. Um, I don't know if I would do that one simply because of uh, latex. And I don't like bringing balloons into schools so if I can help it. I've got a couple of routines that use balloons, but I, I try to shy away from them. But... Um, uh, another routine you can kind of have in your back pocket if you're a kid's show entertainer is Quentin Reynolds' five minutes with a pocket handkerchief. Uh, and literally, I mean, there's a couple of other props you can have with it if you want to. But literally, the, the main crux of the routine, and it's a nice solid four or five minute routine, the main crux of the routine, all it uses is a, is a handkerchief. So if you're in a restaurant, you could borrow a cloth napkin from somebody, uh, something like that. I don't know if a paper towel would work. I mean, there's a couple of things in it that would work, but I think the majority of it, a paper towel would not work. I think it would tear. Um, so I just like the idea of having propolis stuff you can have uh, at, at, a, at a moment's notice that will allow you to get through a really rough time like I did last night. So I hope that makes sense to everybody that, uh, you know, the, the, the concept of the podcast this week was twofold. Examining a direct... Um, specific example of creating a show for a very specific market, you know, very niche, something that, that fit the market like a glove. I'm really proud of how the show's turned out. And even if, obviously, if you're not into spooky magic, just, you know, take away the idea, you know, what kind of opening are you going to script for this very specific market? Um, if what kind of tricks are you going to do that will fit this very specific market? Uh, for I'll go back to the show for a second. For instance, um, there's no way I was going to do a card trick. Because a card trick, to me, um, for a spooky show like this where we're trying to contact ghosts, is just going to be a card trick. So I wanted to keep in mind the theme of my show, which is to contact the spirits. So I restricted myself to things that would apparently be caused by spirit contact. Um, so the idea of creating a very specific show with very specific tricks for a very specific market. And... The idea of what are you going to do if something goes wrong or you forget something. Um, again, just to reiterate, a lot of us are told bring extra props with you and be prepared that way. I tend to lean more toward what kind of examples and uh, routines can I do that don't require any props. Um, I've purchased some propless magic before. My, my go-to is PK Touches, and I've got a couple of other little things that I can do as well. And, and, and to me, that gives me the most power um, because if I forget one prop for a show, 
um, having something that I don't need anything, that's going to allow me to get through that situation with a minimum of setup, a minimum of fuss, and a minimum of stress. So, hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Professional Magician Podcast. Now, we're going to transition to this week's episode of Trick Talk. It's time for Trick Talk. Honest, detailed reviews of magic tricks, equipment, and other fun stuff to make your show the best it can be. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the podcast. Now, let's get into this week's episode of Trick Talk. And this is going to be one that um, I really like a lot. Um, I no longer own it. I sold it. Um, you know, pandemic, thought my career was over, yada, yada, yada. It is the Phantasm Portable Pro Series. It's not for everybody because it's, uh, it's heavy. And um, uh, it's definitely something you're not going to use close up or in a birthday party show. But for the right performance, it's fantastic. It's uh, available for $1,500 to animate one object, a $300 upcharge to animate two objects, and a $600 upcharge to animate uh, three objects. I had the, uh, the, the uh, ability to animate two objects with mine, and that was, that was more than enough for me. And you'll be able to see the display photos. So here it is. Here's the ad copy. Finally, a portable animation system that can be used with almost any table, chair, prop, etc. The Phantasm Portable Pro 3 series is basically a Phantasm illusion without the table. That's right, you supply your own regular table, chair, or prop, and the Phantasm Portable Pro will adapt to your show. With Phantasm Portable Pro, you can animate borrowed objects sealed inside an examinable plexiglass box, seemingly only with the power of your mind. You can make the objects move, slide, levitate, float, and even dance in full view while sealed inside the plexiglass box. All this without the aid of any special lighting or backdrops. Use the equipment to demonstrate telekinesis, poltergeist activity, power of levitation, and so forth. You'll receive a specially built custom uh, remote control programmable receiver that allows you to personalize your own program and animation sequences. Each object you animate can have its very own program. Or choreograph more than one object together, only limited by your imagination. The receiver is simply placed under or behind any chair, uh, prop, etc. It's all controlled with one tiny keychain mini uh, pocket remote. It's so easy to perform. Sean Magonia of Ultimate Magic Productions is responsible for designing the high-tech microchips used in the electronic animation system. You can animate a wide range of borrowed objects such as coins, pictures, keys, jewelry, credit cards, handkerchiefs, cigarettes, playing cards, and pretty much any other small to medium-sized object. Best of all, the Phantasm Portable Pro packs down completely flat in its very own custom-built ATA case, perfect for traveling. Uh, the revolution is here. Okay, and after that, there's a bunch of reviews. Um, a review from my old website is on this uh, page too, but the, that website is no longer up. Um, okay, so let me get into this. Um, I have one quibble with the ad copy, and that is it packs down completely flat. You'll be able to see on the website that um, it's, it's, it's a great prop. I mean, it really is. I really like this thing. But it does not pack down flat. It goes into a very heavy ATA case. Um, it's got uh, pads and uh, padding, um, uh, not padding. It's like this very thick foam that allows uh, the, the items inside the case to be protected because you've got glass inside here and everything. You've got all the electronics. Um, and and the, everything packs inside the uh, the case. It's really nice. Well, but it is heavy. It, the, the, ca the case itself weighs 20, 30 pounds. I forget. It's, uh, it's a pretty heavy thing. This is something that is really only suitable for stage. I mean, you could technically do this in somebody's living room because the way that the unit works, it's, um, you, you're not going to see anything as long as you hide the roll control unit. The roll control unit is fairly large. It's, um, oh, I'm trying to remember. It's about about a foot across by seven or eight inches. So it's, it's fairly large, and it's got the, the 
animation electronics on it and that you have to hide that um, behind or underneath something and then those are what does the um does the dirty work inside the 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 plexiglass box itself the plexiglass um, box itself is pretty much ungimmicked there's a little subtle gimmickry to it but nothing that anybody's ever going to discover so you need some space for this thing you need a place to hide the um the electronics when i was doing this i had the unit the uh, Phantasm Pro unit, the plexiglass box on top of my roll-on table. And then I had the electronics um, inside my table. So it was like I could wheel it onto the stage and wheel it off the stage. And it's really handy and it's elevated for everybody to see it. Obviously, I did it for school shows because that's my MO. Um, if you're going to do this for like a corporate function, for example, and you've got an elevated stage, yeah, you can absolutely put the, the, the plexiglass box onto a chair and then hide the electronic control unit elsewhere. Um, it's really only only limited by your imagination, but um, again, the plexiglass box is pretty heavy. You're not going to put this onto um, what do they call those the the instands? You're not going to put it on that. It's way too heavy for that. Um, so think about that. But th- this really is appropriate for just for stage. Um, I, I can't imagine bringing this into a private person's uh, into a home or a birthday party. It, it's just too heavy. Um, the, the setup time uh, it takes a little bit of time because you've got to put together the box. You've got to take out. You know all six sides of the box and put that together. You've got to get the electronics out. You've got to do some work to get make the electronics applicable to control the levitated objects. And I think you know what I'm talking about here. So there is some setup involved with this. Um, you know, five minutes or so, maybe a little bit longer, maybe maybe a little bit shoulder, uh, t- um, shorter, depending on where you put everything. I don't know. Um, but uh, but in terms of use, this thing is easy. I mean, it really is uh, push button magic where you you craft your story. You borrow your objects, or Mike. What I did, I didn't want to worry about borrowing objects because I'm working for kids anyway. Was I? And I'll tell you my presentation. I used to use this for my Dr. Seuss show, and I had um, several uh, colored silks. Or I'm sorry, several white silks that had socks on them, and that I colored with a magic marker, and I colored the socks on it myself. And I, I tied it into the uh, what's that book? You know, Fox and Socks. Fox with socks. I don't remember what it is. It's a rhyming thing. And I would tie into that, and then I would let a couple of kids in the audience pick. I had like seven or eight silks, and I'd let the kids pick which two silks they wanted to do the magic with. And i put those into the box, and of course, those are the two that would animate. Had it set to music, and it got a heck of a reaction. And people were like yelling and screaming and stuff. It was really, really cool. And that was, at the time, that was the finale to my Dr. Seuss show. Um, really nice, and I, I really enjoyed the piece. Um, and again, the only reason why I sold it is because, again, you know, pandemic. I thought my career was over. Now let's let's talk. I, I've talked about the weight of the unit. This is not a lightweight unit. It's uh, unless you've got a, a rolling cart. And when, if you if you carry your props into the into the show, um, this is you, you can throw it on top of your rolling table and wheel it in. It'll fit there in terms of getting the item into the into the venue. Um, but again, it's not a flat object. I would say if you, if you if you look at your average rolling table, your Leffler table, the um, the dimensions of this are roughly like that. Probably bigger now that I'm thinking about it. I. I, I I'm looking at the, the photographs now. It's it's not a small box. It's not a flat box. It's heavy. Um, I just want you to know what you're getting in for in case you get it. Um, but so setting those considerations aside, um, this gets my highest recommendation. If you're a stage performer, this this is really, really cool. I, I can see this being something that you do 
you would throw a couple hankies into this and animate it to music and then bring out your extreme hanky and you know kind of like the, the the hankies inside the phantasm pro are like the backup singers and then the main hanky inside the uh, extreme hanky is you know the, the the main or even a regular dancing hanky trick where the, the ones inside the box are animating you're also doing your dancing hanky you know you have them all going at once i can see that you know kind of like a backup backup dancer a backup singer kind of thing i can see that being a really cool idea uh, so there's, there's a lot of really cool things you could do with this. Obviously, in the, in the description, Peter talks about borrowing objects from the audience and levitating those, and that's an idea, too. I mean, I can see, you know, like borrowing a bill, a signed bill, or something like that. Um, you could technically do cards, but for God's sakes, with something this nice and something this magical, I mean, don't do it with a stinking card trick. I mean, who cares? <laughs> this, this, to me, is just too good for a stinking card trick. That's just my opinion. Um, now, in terms of ease of use... Yeah, I mean, this gets a 10 out of 10. It's, you know, you make your program before the fact, and then when you get to the venue, all you have to do is just, you know, get your item you're going to animate, and then, you know, hit the button, and away you go. It's really nice that way. Uh, angles. As long as you've got your remote control system hidden, uh, you could technically do this thing surrounded, or at least, well, depending on what you have to do. I don't know if you could actually do this surrounded. You could, you could definitely do it three-quarters of the way surrounded, because that's what I used to do. I mean, I'd have you know, kids almost on all sides of me because, um, you know, the, the high number of kids that I have at a show. So um, angles are really, really good. Um, audiences, um, I did this for K through five. I'd have a, a show for K through two and another one for three through five. And, and they loved it. You know, they, they really loved it. Um, I never got around to doing this for adults, although if I still owned it, I would now that I'm getting in all the spooky magic stuff. Um, I can see this being something you could use um, for test conditions for a ghost story. You know, you've got, um, you know, maybe you've got like an old scarf, you know, from that was purported to belong to the deceased that you're attempting to contact. You can have people examine it and things and put it inside the box and it starts animating. So it really does allow almost test-like conditions for something like this. Obviously, if you're a mentalist, you can put something in there and uh, use it for your mentalist powers, like telekinesis, like making a, uh, again, I wouldn't do it, but making a card rise out of a pack of cards or something like that. Um, all kinds of things. I, I, I think this works best with uh, handkerchiefs because it's, uh, it's got a lot of movement. They're not too heavy and it's very visible. Um, the next thing I would consider using for this is probably a dollar bill or some, uh, um, you know, the different forms of uh, currency, you know, just th things to think about. So, um, angles, really good angles, three quarters surrounded on this, at least appropriate for stage. I can see this being appropriate for any age level, depending on the presentation. That's also nice about this. Use this as, as a utility item. You know, you can use this for corporate events, school shows. Um, yeah, I'm technically use it for libraries. I wouldn't bring it to libraries cause it's, you know, it's too big and too heavy, but you technically could bring it to libraries. Um, yeah, I mean, this gets my highest recommendation with a caveat that if you're a close-up worker or somebody who does very small engagements in people's homes and things, you're probably not going to want to get this. This is really for the stage worker. Um, so with that, um, I do give it a, ten, a perfect 10 out of 10. Um, I don't look at the weight as, uh, as a deterrent for getting this. I don't look at the dimensions of the carrying case as a deterrent for getting this. Every trick has its own um, price to pay. You know, as a trick delicate, prone to breaking, does it play for small audiences? Um, you know, is, is it a big trick you have to carry? Is the setup time a lot? So every, every trick has its own um, price to admission that Penn and Teller said in their book. Every trick has its own price to admission. Uh, and to me, the price to admission is, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a fairly heavy box and it's going to take up a lot of space in your car. But in terms of the, the effect on the audience, I mean, they will flip 
out. So yeah, this gets my highest recommendation. I love it. Um, Peter Lochran puts out good quality material, and I, I really recommend this. So that's it for this week's episode of the Professional Magician Podcast. I am recording this on the road in uh, my hotel room, so if I sound a little bit different, I'm using my portable mic. Um, but next week, we will have another episode. And uh, be sure to check out the ProfessionalMagicianClubPro.com for all kinds of free business building tools, tips, tricks, and sign up for our weekly newsletter, where every week you get a, a newsletter from me, a long-form article that is uh, talks about the philosophy of magic, marketing, performing attributes, all kinds of fun things. So sign up now at theprofessionalmagicianclubpro.com, and I'll see you all next week. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you haven't already, subscribe today so you don't miss a single episode. We'll be back next week with an all-new episode of The Professional Magician.